do that. You could count seven, I think seven. I don't know. Um, so good to see Stacy with us and your family. And uh, they've certainly had a week. And uh, many of us have had weeks. And uh, we think about loss and sorrow and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And man, this world, it doesn't even make sense. And why do I even come to church if God can't bail me out or just one time provide a miracle? Or oh, if I was God, I'd do things a little bit different. But we come together because this is where family gathers. We come together because this is where Jesus says, I love you no matter what. My arms of love will wrap around you, embrace you, and lift you up. So Jesus, we say thank you for your miracles and for your goodness. We thank you that we have freedom and there's healing. We thank you for salvation and the joy that is before us, that was before you, that we will be reunited with those that have professed your name, those that have claimed you, those that are with you now. We are so grateful that we will be reunited with them and with you. And God, as we just wonder about these next steps, these next days, we question how we're going to make a living or how we're going to survive in a situation. We thank you that we can turn our hearts to you. We can look to you and know that we are blessed, we are loved, and you look at us with an incredible smile saying, this is my son, this is my daughter, you are a new creation. And Father, for those that have a longing, may they turn that longing into joy and satisfaction of being accepted and embraced by you and your forgiveness. So we thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, Greg asked me if I was going to do some theatrics with uh, the cordless mic, but I guess I can't. I guess I guess I can't. But um, I was speaking with uh, somebody driving them up to the mountain this past week, and they just said, uh, yes, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. If you'd like to sign up, you could see Joy Doan or at the welcome table. There's a sign up list for that. Uh, he asked me what I did full time, and usually... Um, I'm the one that brings it up, but I said, I'm a pastor. He says, well, do you know what you're preaching on Sunday? And this was Tuesday. No, I didn't work Tuesday. It was Monday. And I'm like, something for Max. And he's like, well, if I was going to be preaching, I would say on forgiveness. I was like, that sounds good. He said, you can never go wrong preaching about forgiveness. And I thought that is a true word. That is a good story. That is something we can all uh, receive from Jesus, but also extend to others. Before I get too far ahead of myself, I just wanted to uh, thank you for giving of tithes and offerings. Thank you that you give so we can give. And it's an obedience thing where God's asked us to give, whether it's time, whether it's money, resources, talent, so others can be blessed. We thank you for that as we've been able to help several families this past year and even this year already to give gift cards, to make meals, to purchase different things for them because there's a need. And if the church has the resources, the church is not just to hoard and keep for themselves. The church is to say, hey, we are the church. How can we help and assist and show God's love in a practical way to you? So let's be the church. And if you think, well, I need to give or I need to get before I give, I would challenge that thinking because we do not become generous once we become wealthy. We become generous by the fact that Jesus has changed us and we just want to give to others what he's given us, health and talents and resources and smiles and hugs and texting and 
I guess that's thumbs. He's given us thumbs so we can reach out and share with others. But this, I talked about this word for me, consistency, for this year, consistency. You can see what motivation looks like, and you see what discipline looks like. Motivation goes up and down, and sometimes as a coach, you want to motivate your players, and it works until the second minute of that first quarter, and they're already down by 15 points. Then motivation isn't what they need. They just need to learn how to play defense in the offseason. They need to go to a camp and learn some fundamental skills. They have to learn how to be disciplined and so Sometimes we rely so much on motivation. If I could get baptized again, because I remember that feeling. If I could just say the sinner's prayer again, because I remember that feeling. If I could, and we bounce around from feeling to feeling, which God uses emotions, but we don't base our life on emotion. So be disciplined in your walk. This is John Maxwell. He's a leadership guy, but he started as a Wesleyan pastor. So every denomination has that one person. And maybe you got, who's heard of John Maxwell? And we got a few of you. Okay. And so he's like, John Maxwell was a Wesleyan pastor once. And he's a good guy. He's a Christian, but he does a lot with uh, leadership. He said this, motivation gets you going, but discipline keeps you growing. His little thing is everything rhymes. Uh, that's the law of consistency. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how many opportunities you receive. If you want to grow, consistency is the key. And I would agree with that. I'm reminded myself of this. You said tomorrow, yesterday. So when are you going to start working out? Tomorrow. When are you going to start eating better? Tomorrow. Or when are you going to, it's a Monday. There's always going to be a Monday. So, well, um, you said tomorrow, yesterday. So let's see what it means to have God move in our lives, to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your action, which changes our life. If you allow God to change your heart, the motivation, the reason why we become disciplined, that initial spark that says there's something different, I need to live differently, then you change your mind, that pattern of thinking, so you change your actions, your behaviors, that will change your life. Not in a day, but in time, because farmers plant the next day, they don't say, hey, what's wrong? And dig up that seed and say, I must have planted it wrong and plant again. And then the next day, hey, I must have did it wrong. They understand the timing and God understands the timing of our maturity. And that's why his grace is so long. So we look at the book of Acts and in the book of Acts, I just want to bring out this scripture we used before. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. This is why we're so disciplined. As we talk about Paul, as we learned about Paul, this is why he could do and be used of God because he had hidden the word of God in his heart. Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. Why were they weeping? Or why were they were weeping? Because Paul did not listen to their prophecy that he was going to suffer persecution and even be killed. If somebody said, you're going to suffer persecution, you're going to be put down, you're going to be beat up, you could even lose your life. You need to not go there, but you knew God called you to go there. You have to obey God. You have to obey God. You have to. Not, eh, you probably should. No, you have to if you want the abundant life that we claim as a promise. You have to. So they were weeping because Paul was choosing to obey God rather than, well, avoid persecution. You are breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And when it was clear that they couldn't persuade him, they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. My 
this is what Paul wrote to the church of Galatia. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If you want a life verse, if you want to memorize a verse, if you want a verse that comes to mind after you've soaked in it, as it's taken place in your heart, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul who wrote to the church of Galatia. This is Paul who said, I know what you've said. I know you prophesied and said bad things are going to happen, but it's not me who lives. It's God that lives in me and I have to obey him. This guy cutting down a tree. I spoke with a friend the other day. This guy I met, I don't know, several years ago. And he said, I'm a Christian, but you really wouldn't know it. Over time, he's really gotten involved in a church. He's made a profession of faith. He married his girlfriend. A lot of awesome things are happening. So he said, can I take you for breakfast? And when they say, can I take you? I'm like, oh, so you're paying. So yes, you can certainly take me to breakfast. So at breakfast, he's like, I got to tell you this story because you've seen my growth, my development as a believer and follower of Jesus. Yes. And so he said, so I was cutting down this tree with a chainsaw, and uh, he actually bought a wood stove for my dad a while ago, so that's a hint, Dad, of who it is. And so he, he said, I had a tree by my house I, I had to cut, so they notched the tree. I know this because my dad, Old Man Mountain, he used to do this. So where you put the notch, do you want it to fall in the notch, or do you want it to fall away from the notch? Towards the notch. So the notch, so it falls. So his house is here, the tree is here, so the notch is here. So he wants it to fall away, but and but he is not the woodsman that my dad is, obviously, I guess, because he did the notch. He did the notch. So the notch looked good. But then it started leaning towards the house. He's like, No, like I told I was told if you do the notch, it's gonna fall away. My house is here, here's the notch. I'm told it's not gonna do it. And so he has a chainsaw in one hand and he sees it just starting to go the wrong way. So he puts his hand on it, and he's like, well, uh, okay, God, you said it's going to take faith. So he's telling me the story. He has a hand on it and the chainsaw, and it's still pressure against his hand because it's going towards the house. And he said, I put my chainsaw down, and I said, God, you're going to have to help me. And he should be telling this story. Maybe I'll have him come in and share so you don't think I'm making anything up because this is what he said. The minute I put the chainsaw down and said, with both hands, God, you're going to have to help me. A huge wind came from this side of the house, blew over the house. It was like he said, the tree wasn't even in his hand because so quickly, right after he put both hands on it, the wind knocked the tree down away from his house. And he said, Jeff, you can't explain this stuff. People could say, hey, a gust of wind, those things happen. But he said, I knew that there's something different. And he said, I just feel like it was my simple act of faith of like, okay, God probably wants me to do something, so I'm going to ask for his help. And then the wind came, and the tree fell in the right direction. Coincidence? You could say so. I doubt it. It's just something God did because God loves to bless and encourage his children. Like when we don't know what we're doing, we thought we did the right thing. We think we're going in the right direction. We still need faith that God, you are proud of me in the middle. Like I don't know. And so Paul is about to face persecution. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. These guys were being purified for a ceremony. So in that Jewish culture, you had to do certain things, ritualistic. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced a date when their vows would end and the sacrifices would be offered for each of them. Some of this, I have to admit, the ancient history in school 
was completely boring to me. So if you guys are in a history, like, man, why do they have to do that ritual? Or why doesn't Jeff talk about that more? It's like, I'm not a professor and I'm too lazy to study all the rituals. I'm just telling you the story. You can read the Bible. You get a Bible commentary, dictionary, it'll explain much more. So these guys are going through a ritualistic process. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is a man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. What did they want them to obey? The law of Moses. And he was trying to tell them to live the life of Jesus. He speaks against the temple and even defies this holy place by bringing in Gentiles, by bringing in Gentiles. Maybe this will come home in a little bit. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city of this place with this guy, a Gentile, and they assumed Paul had taken him into this uh, temple. In that time, it was a crime punishable by death to bring a non-Jew into the temple. Be, uh, beyond the court of the Gentiles. If you're looking, court of the Gentiles were there. They could not go inside. There's a woman's court too. This is like ancient history that people, anyway, we can talk about that later. The Jews assumed Paul had violated this sacred law. This uh, supposed discretion of the temple aroused the fury of the Jewish populace. They were so angry that they thought, they assumed Paul brought this non-Jew into the temple. It was this is one of the most horrific pictures. My parents, they actually went down North Carolina, right? When they had just got married. And my mom said, like, being up here in Vermont, she had never seen the colored only water fountain or bathroom. Or... So they were saying, like, the Gentiles can't come into the temple. They can't come and hear this message of the law. They can't come and hear the message of the truth. They, they've been defiled. They're separate. They have a past. They have a history. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that, read that out loud, that, wait, that, and those that memorize in the King James, whosoever, that everyone, who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone. It doesn't matter your past history. It doesn't matter how you were raised. Everyone. It doesn't matter if the person outside cut you off on your way to church or the person in the grocery store, they had 20 items and they could clearly read it was for 10 items only. It does not matter what it was. It's for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. Do we want to promote a law or the life of Jesus? The law had its place, we learned a lot, or the life of Jesus. I would suggest the life of Jesus. The whole city was rocked by these accusations that Paul would do such a thing of bringing a non-Jew into the temple. Well, Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So as they were trying to kill Paul, this implies, and it states later, that he was being beaten. He was being hit. I tried to find a picture, not too graphic, but a picture of Paul in chains. You see this Paul with a halo and with a smile and no bruises, no blood, no scratches. He's like, happy Paul. 
Like, this is happening. This is not the true depiction of what Paul was going through. Yes, he had a resilience and a strength that came from knowing the love of Jesus that has saved him, that had knocked him off his horse, and he had converted. But this was not happy, Paul. This is Paul that was trying to be killed. He immediately called out, this is the Roman centurions, the soldiers and officers, and ran down among the crowd when the mob saw the commander and the troops. They stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. Now, if I can, I'm really excited about my little red dot. This is the fortress right here. You guys, like, this is pretty, like, I, I'm, I'm almost a professor, so... You can see right there, that's a fortress where they took him, okay? Enough from uh, the class lecture, let's move on. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. The mob that thought this guy had brought in a non-Jew into the temple, it might be like if you invited a black person to sit with you in church. I mean, not our church. And definitely not in 2024. Or maybe it would be like taking uh, a known uh, violator, a crime committer. They were just in the paper and we all read the police blotter because what's more fun than reading the police blotter when you're on break? Because there's some funny stuff they put in there. But they're in the police blotter and, oh, you're sitting with them in church. Uh, could you kind of sit in the back? Well, as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent. They had to pick him up on the shoulders, and the crowd followed behind him, shouting, kill him, kill him. Now, earlier on, it said there were accusations, this accusation, this accusation, this accusation. So there's confusion of what took place. Does anybody know who this pastor is? This guy I listen to all the time. This guy I love. Life Church is one of the largest churches in the country. They have all sorts of different things. This is Craig Rochelle. Craig Rochelle and his wife, Amy. Craig tells a story that he was out for dinner uh, with his wife, Amy, and uh, it was great. But somebody approached the table and said, hey, Pastor Craig, can I tell you something? He's like, uh, yeah. He's out to dinner with his wife, Amy. So Craig's here. Amy's here. He's out to dinner with his wife, Amy, and somebody says, can I tell you something? And he says, sure. And they said, Amy, I saw Pastor Craig at dinner with another woman. So all of a sudden, and so Pastor Craig, being a man of integrity, I love Pastor Craig Groeschel. He's awesome. He's like, when was it? And they said the date. Where was it? Said the date. And he leans over and says, that's when I took my daughter to dinner. Pastor Craig has six kids, I think, and they have spouses and children. And can you imagine, hopefully, the shame and guilt of trying to bring something up that had no foundation because they had seen something they felt not in private, not as scripture says, go to that individual. They thought, I'm going to expose this thing and you don't know the details. You don't know. You have an assumption of what took place, but you don't know the backstory. We have an assumption of, well, they've been a Christian long enough. They should know better. Well, they've been coming to our family reunion long enough. They should know better. Or 
do not base somebody's life on what you see, not on what you don't know. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? This is what the commander thought uh, Paul was being um, beaten for. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? Paul said, no. I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus. So he's going on to say his Roman heritage, his background, his education, everything that would fit in the mix and be lifted up as a Roman. He's saying, this is who I am. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. They had assumed Paul was this rebel. Some did. Others were still mad that he brought a non-Jew into the temple. So they thought, but he didn't even do that. If you read and study the whole context of that scripture, what Paul actually did. When they were beating him, and he, the Roman uh guy in charge said, hey, that's not you? Like, then let's not worry about it. Paul said, no, I want to actually draw more attention to their shame and tell them who I am. So in chapter 22, we're going to go relatively quick. Paul was just on the ground being beaten. He was bloodied. He was like trying to be killed, trying to be murdered. And then they realized he had a message to share and he wanted to share the message instead of escape. Sometimes after such chaos, such turmoil. We want to escape and say, Jesus, rescue me. And Jesus says, but first share the goodness of who I am. But first share your story of how you were lost. But first share that God is with you no matter what. But first know that God is there caring for you. But first, before you experience all the joy and abundance of this life that I have for you, share the message. So in chapter 22, Paul goes on to say, hey, I'm a Roman of Romans. Like I received the best education. I went through the entire process. I thought I was glorifying God, but I realized when I met God that I was doing the wrong thing. So he knocked me off my horse and I had the best education. I had the best background. I had the best, but he led me and I could not see for days. And then somebody came and said, hey, why do you persecute me? And they said, hey, why are you doing these bad things? And I had this conversion experience. So Paul is telling them all of this after he's being beaten. Like I was just beaten, but I have to tell you this story. And as we move on, Paul continues to say, I was in complete agreement with your witness. Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. Remember Stephen and Philip, they started ministry together. Paul had just been with Philip's uh, family and Philip's daughter said, don't go because you're going to be beaten. But Paul said, I need to go. I need to follow what God has for me over anything else. But the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I was knocked off my horse. I was in a place of depression. I was brought back by somebody that said that God had a plan for me, that he would forgive me. And then he said, but the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles, far away to the Democrats, far away to the independents, far away to the... The crowd listened until Paul said that word, Gentiles. Then they all begin to shout, away with such a fellow. 
fellow's been translated, so it's politically correct. We could say it in church. They said, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live because he said this message is for the Gentiles too. And no, we want to keep it for us as God's chosen ones, the Christians. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. It goes on to say he was beaten even more. I don't know. This is probably as uh, politically incorrect I will get, but I think it's worth saying. Super Bowl, they had this ad campaign. People have been complaining about it because he gets us. It doesn't tell the whole story and all of that. If the gospel is Jesus that he came to give salvation to everyone, not for professing believers to take sides and create battlegrounds, then let us share the good news of what the gospel is. If it promotes a conversation that says, well, that doesn't make sense, or that, that ad I didn't really understand, if it promotes a conversation that we can explain Jesus to somebody and say, yeah, I don't know either. It didn't make sense. It was a lot of money. It was kind of a foolish thing. If we could just take somebody's question about something about Jesus and we turn the conversation to say, hey, let's figure out who this person Jesus was, who he is, what he cares about. And then we can explain, not, oh, well, I'm going to take sides. Yeah, you're right. That was a lot of money. Or yeah, you're right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And we start to get sides for a battle instead of saying, let's talk about who Jesus is, the good news. The gospel is a good news that Jesus came for everyone, that you can experience forgiveness and freedom and healing. John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But at times, I'm very guilty of it. I'll take one verse here, there, and we don't know the context. The context, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is just before Jesus was going to be brutally beaten and put on the cross and crucified and raised from the dead and ascended and now mediating at the right hand of the Father for us. So that's all ends well. But in the middle of it, they didn't know. Just like Paul, when he was told that you're going to suffer if you go to Jerusalem, he said, I have to go because this is what God wants me to go through. And as I go through it, I need to tell the story of Jesus in the middle of it. Because there are those that need to know that we're followers of Jesus but the way we love everyone. Not just the ones that think like us, talk like us, look like us. You can have a disagreement and still know that you are being loved. Love is not acceptance or affirmation. There's no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. That's how Jesus lived. That's how we should live. Before I play this, I have to turn on the Bluetooth, so... I thought it was going to be like really smooth, but I guess I'm not as suave as I thought. Um, let's just pray. 
Jesus, again, we thank you um, for your truth and your promise. And we thank you that uh, you've called us to die to ourselves, that we might be alive in you. And Father, for the guilt, the shame that we feel, for the lies that Satan tells us, or the truth that he reminds us from our past, let us say to him that we are free because we've chosen your forgiveness. We know your salvation. You have loved us. And we desire not only to love you, but to love our neighbor as ourself. We thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.